We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernine. Joining us today is Stevie Grieve. This interview is from a webinar we did with Stevie recently with the APFA. We do the webinars typically every Friday at lunchtime. We get an analyst or a coach on to do a presentation. So Stevie done a 30-minute presentation on merging game model with the game plan. Really, really, really good presentation. I would highly recommend you checking that out. The link is below. It's on the APFA website. It's free. You just log in, create an account, go in. You can watch the full presentation. This interview was the segment after the presentation. So I pick it up after Stevie has presented for 30 minutes. So if you enjoy this interview, make sure you go and check out the full presentation on the links below, apfa.io. Check it out. Also, before we start, we've just released a new ebook, Modern Soccer Coach 30 high intensity press and exercises so if you're looking for some ideas over the summer to plan and prepare for the new season plenty of pre-season ideas high intensity defending exercises available now modernsoccercoach.com slash shop thanks so much for the support as always here is stevie enjoy my first question for you you mentioned about prioritizing things was was your priority driven by your philosophy or was your priority driven by what you saw on the team and what you thought they needed? The week before I joined, I watched um, a friendly against the first team and then I watched the first league game of the season because I arrived like two days after that. Uh, what you could see from the team is that it was mostly attacking players. A lot of guys really comfortable in the ball coming forward. Decent amount of pace and mobility in the team, a decent amount of creativity. So, it's not for me to then come in and say, we're going to play low block 4-4-2. Which, A, I'm not doing, because football is an entertainment sport, and if I'm going to spend 45 hours a season watching my own team from the bench, they better be entertaining. Uh, but the second thing is I didn't think that that would suit the players. So we play all-out attack, <laughs> which you can see in 5-3 in the last game. We play all-out attack that suits the players we have. We try and play in a really mobile way, which suits the players we have. So there's a little bit of a mix of understanding what the players are and how that suits them, but also that suits how I want to coach and to play and to watch. So um, it was a nice balance. If I'd watched the team and they were terrible in possession and low block and unable to run, I don't think I would have taken the job. But um, you, you always you always try and get an understanding of what it is that you're walking into. And thankfully, I think in the first first week, I think the players took to the ideas and it's it's gone well so far. You have a lot of coaches that want to, you know, like if you had a group of coaches in a room, they'd say, build from the back and press high. And it's the bit in the middle that sometimes gets lost in both of those. You know, you talked a lot about then the attacking phases. How do you think you can simplify that process of those two moments, those attacking organization, defensive organization? How, do you th how would you recommend coaches kind of take it on in the planning process? 
I think it comes down to like wh- where do you see yourself winning or losing the ball and going from there, especially in the middle. It's easy for a coach to say, I want to press high and build up from the back. Okay, fine. Well, the ball doesn't magically get to the opposite side of the pitch and it doesn't magically end up in your box. So like for for me, like, we, we've changed how we defend on a weekly basis. The first game against um, Yarrow, the team played a 4-4-2 mid-block. Put a bit of pressure on the ball, but we have a, a Ghanaian boy, Salim, in the middle of the pitch, who's unbelievable at winning it back. So he set up nine counter-attacks in the first game, and that was a little bit because we were able to break the lines um, after winning it. The second game, my game, we played against Salpa, who were 3-5-2 long ball. So how do we defend a team who are just going to bang it from the back and then play second balls in physical? The third game... Um, against uh, Javascula. They were position, 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1, very positional-oriented. So that's a different challenge. And then last week against Kappa, very fluid, unbelievable rotations, very good on the ball individually. Um, that presents itself a different problem. We got it wrong completely. Like We got murdered down the sides and uh, the rotations were good. And then we got into a better block in the second half and that stopped us. And then this week we'll defend a, a completely different way against this opponent. So we're very clear on our idea about how to play in possession, but the players need to understand how to problem solve against different types of opponents. So what I do is I'll give them like, this is a practice for how to play this way. This is how to play that way. This is if they're playing a back three, how do we press? If they're playing a back four with one pivot or two pivots, how do we press? So it's, Maybe you go man to man one week because they've got three guys who can't run against your three guys who can run. So it's I think there's a lot of you need to teach the players how to problem solve more defensively because you could just sit in a four four two block and the team just keeps popping it through you. But especially in possession, there's a lot of like when a coach does possession, it's like four v four plus four. Well, what are the principles you're trying to apply? Are you playing diagonal passes? Are you playing one touch passes? Are you provoking people? Are you skipping passes to bring somebody over, to bring it back, to play through? What's the point of these activities and what information are you adding and why did you select that activity? So I think for a lot of coaches, it's like, what's the purpose of the activity you're doing and what are you trying to achieve? Because realistically, you've only got between four and eight key practices in a week. So you've got to maximise your time by getting your ideas across. Brilliant. Um, I'll get to some of some questions coming in now. Look really good. If you want to put them on the chat or you can put them in the private uh, Q&A. Um, a lot of coaches here working in the youth game don't have access to the scouting aspect of it. So if you're looking at the game plan then, how would you would you recommend those are live changes that are, are adaptions that you're making to team systems or what can they do? Yeah, like, so for, so for example... When I, I worked in the same job, like I did it in Canada. Um, how do you press a team that plays long from the back in a back four? Or do you just drop off and pick up second balls? Or how do you press a team which plays in a wide back three to build up at a back five? How do you press a team which plays two strikers and maybe one floats? So you can't prepare for every single game as an individual in isolation because you don't have the ability to to watch every team. But what you do have the ability to do is recognise system, shape and style immediately. What system are they playing? Man-to-man marking, high press and whatever. The style will play long ball, possession, wide attacks, dribbling, whatever. And then the system, 433, 4231, 5-3-2. So if your players already understand how to press a back three, how to press a team which goes long ball, 
and how to overload a team in transition, you're teaching players how to problem solve based on what they're facing in the game because you can't set up specifically and say, today we're going to attack the left back because you don't know. You only know that 10, 15 minutes into the game when the left back's given the ball away six times. But you have to then show them, look, against specific opponents, this is what we do. I remember in Canada, we had a, we had a girl called Emma Oliphant and basically she was one of the players who would help solve a problem. We had a girl, Hannah Anderson, who she would change our system based on what we were trying to do. So if we played against a team that played 4-3-3 and went 1v1 in midfield, Hannah would invert and play at the base of the midfield and create a 3-2 build-up. Emma would go high and play behind the midfield and would create like a 3-box-3. Three three. And that was basically just because the way they pressed and the system and the shape that they allowed us to do that. And now if they create 4v3 in the midfield, they stop man-marking. Or if they do, then we've created a free player in the middle of the pitch, and that's basically what we want. And then we go wide, and we run one v one, and we get it in the box from there. So, um, a lot of it's to do with just educating the players on different things that we're going to face, and being really clear on this is how we play, but this is how we solve these problems. And the more consistent you are with your principles, right, means that the changes aren't. You know, I, I think at surface level, it looks as if. You're doing a 20-page dossier on a team and then you're deciding what shape to play. But what you're saying there is if you're consistent with your principles, you can then change shapes by moving pieces quite easily. Yeah, yeah. I think like a lot of the coaches I, I've worked with since I was younger, even up till now, um, a lot of them have, have remarked like how easy it is for us to change shape in a game. Like, do we play with two up? Do we play four in midfield? Do we play three at the back? Because the positional principles don't change; they're really fixed. Like if they if they press like this, this is a, this is the spaces because the spaces are the same. If a team press in a front three like this, then that's your gaps. If they play in a front two like this, then that's your gaps. Like the spaces don't change. Like you know where the space is going to be. So it's about applying the positional principles so the players understand where to be and how to rotate and how to invert or how to push up that sort of thing. So. It's it's more about being really clear on your own idea and educating them about how to implement your style. But then how does that, you know, what are the counters that the opponent might have for that? And then how do we react to it? And that's not an easy thing to do. But like, for example, if you're working in OPDL in Canada and you've got six training hours a week, there's a lot of time for you to be able to do that. And so for me, there's no excuse that people don't. Just on that, and, and that brings us nicely into the questions, and uh, we've got quite a few on the on the private Q&A, and I'll get to them because some of these are really, really good. But one of the coaches that's, that's popped in has said that there's only two practices a week, and you get this in quite a, a few you know, concepts that we do a lot of webinars on. Well, I only have limited time. Everyone has limited time, right? So that's what you're saying. How do you adjust teaching your game model with a limited amount of time? The first thing is like, what are the most important things that you need to get right at the start? So the way I, and to be fair, I'll, I'll shout stop during training if it's not done right. What is the first thing we organise? The players will go position, right? We win it, we bump it out, we get position, right? Okay, that's the first thing. So if the most important thing to you is also position, you might do 4v4 plus 4 rondo, 4v4 plus 3, 3v3 plus 5, whatever it is that you want to do and a rondo to get the positional structure you want. Then you might say, well, what's the first pass that you make? Okay, when we win it, first pass is to decide to go forward. Away from pressure because you're marked to go forward. Okay, so now we work on 
We have our position structure, we have possession structure, we've won it back, where do we go next? So we're using the, the Rondo and the positional drills to implement that part of the game. Then we might say, well, how do we create attacking practices to make sure we get the ball wide and in the right space? Now, if I stop training and ask the player, where do you put the ball? The majority will say, yeah, it's going to go in the six-yard box, right? So where are you going to run six-yard box? Okay, so now we're, we're starting to push our idea to make sure that's done right. Once that's done right, you say, okay, when's the time to cut it back? What do we need? Okay, these runs. So we're working on all these phases. Again, like the practice we did with the defensive rotation, we might never use that in a game. But if the centre-back gets dragged out because he wants to go 1v1 and defend, that's fine. No problem. As long as the holding midfielder knows how to rotate and drop in. But that might be something we use once in a season. But it's, again, it's teaching players how to solve problems. So when you've got two sessions a week, you might have, I don't know, 90 minutes times two, three hours a week. What are the things that are most important to you and what is the best practice you can use to work on this team has the ball and that team doesn't have the ball? How do we get these together? So the practice I showed with one press and four behind and one covering, if you want to press 4-1-4-1, four, one, four, one, that works. If you want to build up with the centre-backs, the position structure has to be there. How do you play the forward pass through the lines? How do you go around the line? How do you play into the holding midfielder and get out? Those practices give you that outcome that you want within, you know, three times four minutes. So again, it's you don't need to spend a huge amount of time if the practice is really good and your information is is really clear. What are, what are you supplementing the or what are you using for visuals? Like in terms of the tactical information, are you sitting down with a board? Are you using video? Most of the time it's similar to what I've just presented here. This is the objective. This is training. This is why. Our meetings are uh, we had the assistant coach of the first team sat in a meeting today and the sport director today's meeting was seven minutes. And that's to go through, this is how this team play, this is how we're going to defend them, this is how we're going to play in transition, this is what training will look like. Any questions? Right, let's go. So I tend not to use the tactics board too much. At uh, half time, we've, I've asked for a TV to be put in the dressing room so we can hook up the Spidio onto the MacBook to stream on the TV so we can highlight some some clips that we can tag on the bench, but um, we've not done that yet because it's, it's the facility's not available, but that's something we'd like to do. But I tend to I tend to show them why we're doing things. This is the thing we want to see. And again, like the Man City clip, there's nothing stopping any coach from watching a Man City game, writing down the time code from the match, finding the clip of the game, screenshotting it, or even like downloading it and going on QuickTime Player and doing trim, and just taking that 12-second clip and saying, right, that's what I want to see. This practice aligns with these ideas. That's the coaching points. That's why we're doing it. There's nothing to stop anybody from doing that. Like, I did that when I was working as a, the director of coaching at Burlington, and there's, it's, it's, you have to want to do it. If you don't want to do it, you don't want to spend half an hour doing it, then you won't get the most out of, of the team and the time that you spend with them. So it's, everybody can do it. Everybody has access to these things now. Hello coaches, we take a quick break here. If you are preparing for the new season and the pre-season planning and you're looking for some ideas, we've just released a new ebook, MSC 30 High Intensity Pressing Exercises. Defending exercises that you can use either in your warm-up or your phase of play or 11v11 work with some conditions that you can draw out some of those 
high intensity press and situations that you want to replicate with your team available now modernsoccercoach.com shop the link is also below in the notes plenty of resources on the modern soccer coach website we've also got a free periodization template on there as well to check out modernsoccercoach.com shop thanks for the support question here I, I like this here about you mentioned there about getting it wrong in a game and a question has asked about about when you when what do you do when you find yourself getting it wrong and you mentioned at the start that you were a fairly laid-back guy and I, I want to know like from from the sideline management standpoint are you trying to fix that live or yeah, yeah you are yeah like in my first game against Salpa we we wanted to direct it to the left of the back three, so we needed the striker to press onto the left side centre-back. Because they were building up in a five, we wanted to cut off the wing-back and then squeeze the outside centre-back. And then what that was to do was to get, cut the out balls out, and then we had the back four against the front two in the holding midfielder, and that, that would allow us to pick up every long ball while we go man-to-man in midfield, or kind of man-to-man, but able to detach and pick up the second balls. The problem we had was I'd had two training sessions, didn't know anybody's name, and that was probably the most complex press that they'd they'd ever tried. But again, that's me just, okay, let's be ambitious, see what we can do. It worked in the sense that we won the ball back off it four times in the first half, but it was also a mess because it, there was times where somebody wouldn't jump to press or there'd be times where we would jump to press, but the other one would be in the wrong place. So then you have to show them at half time. I think what we did do at halftime is we went from 4-2-3-1 to 4-3-3, put the holding midfielder in front of the back four, and then just kind of pressed a little bit flatter. and just The winger still went in, but we were flatter. So you have to solve the problem in the game, but you have to understand what the problem is first and why it doesn't work. If you can't diagnose the problem, you can't really solve it. Otherwise, you're just guessing. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a constant thing where... And also, like I think, especially at the professional level, like we have our way of playing. And we have our way of setting up. But they have their way of playing and their way of setting up against you. And you need to figure out what they've tried to do to change what they normally do against you specifically. So there's always that, like, the, the two way of playing, but there's two ways of setting up. And what's the crossover and how do you adapt to the challenges that the game gives you? What's your process of finding that out? Like, what what do you spend the first 10 minutes doing? Do you spend the first 10 minutes getting the tempo right? Do you spend the first 10 minutes writing stuff down and getting that template in your mind right? Or what's your process for, for that period of the game? The first 10 minutes of my first game was, are we pressing properly? Which was no. But we knew why. And again, we managed to adjust it so it was better. And then at halftime, we... we took the 10 out and made them a 6 and it was fine. The second game we lost 2-0. The problem we couldn't... The pitch was a disgrace. An absolute disgrace. I saw, I saw your interview of that there. Honest to God, it was... It was like playing in a car park. That's the only way I can describe it. It was like playing in a terrible car park. Um, which, had, yeah, it was it was, hurt, it was just rubbish. But basically, right, we set up to play the ball through the lines, but the centre-backs were not hesitant to step in because they were doing it as we saw in the video we couldn't turn on the first touch because the ball was bouncing on the way in um and then we made so many bad passes bad decisions bad runs in the final third because we were like we're rushing it so in that game it's like right okay we know what the problems are but i'm honestly like the players were not at fault the pitch was horrendous so we move on 
Third game, last week we were 5-3. We were 3-1 up. Uh, they got it back to 3-3. We went 4-3, had four good chances, went to 5-3. But the problem we faced is we could not deal with the rotation from the, the, the two tens or the two wingers becoming three tens and the full-backs coming up. And then we couldn't, we weren't sure, do we press, do we track the runner? Sometimes the 10 was coming in and the fullback was running on and we couldn't manage the rotation of the player coming in to do we pass them on. So we had an issue with that, which again, solved at half-time. Um, sometimes the midfield line was too flat because their circulation was good because our pitch is immaculate. Um, so everybody can come and play on it. But we couldn't get enough pressure on the ball. The second part of we were a little bit off positionally in terms of like if we went three four two one in possession, for example, the right side ten was playing ten yards too high, which when we went in behind it was fine, like it was helpful. But when we're trying to play through the lines, because he was five yards out of position, we couldn't then counter press, and we couldn't delay the attack and enforce them back. So again, like you can see that things are not right. It's like how quickly can you see it and solve it? And do the players recognise that also? Um, but again, I just said to the boys. Even during the game, look, anything we win it, ball in behind, we'll run them, we'll score. So, and we saw with the counter attack goal, like we are so dangerous on the break, but we're not a counter attacking team. We are a team who are lightning quick in transition, and that can be any t- any point of the game. You can be a sixty percent possession team and be unbelievable in attacking transition. So, that's what we, we don't want to aspire to be that, but we'll get there. Sarah's asked a good question. How often do you recap the same topics with the players to help them remember what you're working on? Do you have principles for keeping a balance in the coaching, e.g. covering all four moments and the transitions between them? So two questions there. We probably recap things more than... than it's not deliberate. It's not like today we are working on possession. Every session we're working on possession. Every session we're working on our first pass and transition. Um, but we recap kind of the same principles. When we win at maximum width, when we win at positional superiority, when we win at one extra player in, in one of the lines, can we find them? Uh, when we win it, can we run forward? Or when we're building up, how do we create a situation where we attack the weak side space, for example? So we're not saying, okay, today we'll work on passing or Today we're working on attacking the final third. It's, it's very much like, how do you create a scoring chance from this situation? It might be, for example, that we work on uh, attacking transition and it might be like a 4v2 rondo or a 4v3 rondo. And if the three win it, they hit the striker and then three guys run out of the box and try and support. So I imagine you've got a 5v3 rondo in the centre circle. The five have to make 20 passes before they can score into one of the goals. If the three win it, it's a ball into one of the strikers, the front three, and then we go and run in support, then we play in behind. So then it's not like you're working on that every day. But what I would also say is like you can't work on the same thing too often because one, it's boring. But two, the sessions you do on a Monday are not the same as you do on a Tuesday. And what I mean by that is like if Saturday is your full intensity day, typically match day minus three is the heavy day. For us, it's match day minus four because we've got an A team, a B team and a C team. And as a result, most of the C team games are on a Tuesday. So everybody's on the same loading, same uh, periodization model. So Wednesday's off. So the session that you would do Monday, Tuesday are going to be different. 
Wednesday, Thursday are going to be different. Friday is going to be different. So you might say today we're working on possession on a Monday and you work on possession on a Thursday. And the area sizes might be bigger, the numbers might be bigger, the timings and the distance might be bigger or, or smaller. So it's, I wouldn't say you'd, you'd repeat it all that often, but a lot of things become familiar because you're talking about the same things if you're really clear on your idea. Yeah, so say you want, you want your players to be more flexible in the press and you want to paint a picture of different build-outs. How would you how would you go about that there? When you're, some, when you're... Sometimes it's just a position of where the attacking team can score into if we're working on pressing. So if you put the two goals, for example, out in the touchline, they can only score in the touchline. So we know we need to widen our press to be able to cut that off. If you put the goals really narrow, then we want to block off narrow and force them outside. So sometimes it's more just about where do you put the thing that they are trying to score into so that you can set aside a space to block it. Like the game of the two centre-backs, if you put the goal kind of in line with the edge of the box, that means the centre-backs are going to have to be wider, so our wingers are going to be, have to be narrower. And then that maybe allows us to set a pressing trap on the outside because our position allows us to stop what they want, but then goes where we want. So sometimes it's just about like where do you want the goals to be or like preventing them from getting into a specific area. You might say, OK, when, when we go to press with five, maybe they build up for five and we go man-to-man. OK, well... What happens if they play in behind and long? Okay, when do you detach? When do you go man to man? When do you rotate? These sorts of things. So, a lot of the time, it's what's the constraint and restriction you're going to put on it, or what's the target you're going to put on it to try and achieve the objective that you're looking for. And a lot of the time, a lot of time players are motivated by scoring a goal. And there's just an easy way to implement them within the session. Your your work that you've done in terms of consultation and education, um, the tactical side. I mean, once. Once you're taking someone's game model and they're asking you to take a look at it, what, what's that process look like? I'll, I'll go through it and be like, right, what's the, what's the visual representation of this that they are trying to show? So what, the, what are the things that they found really important and valuable that made them include it in the document? Because you can't include everything. So once I, once I go through a process of like, how clear is it? What's their game like understanding of their own ideas? One of the first questions I'll ask almost everybody who have done a game model with is like, what does your team look like? What would other people say? And some people say, I want to play like Man City, like Barcelona. Okay, fine. Positional play, 43, wide attacks, rotations, that sort of stuff. So there's an idea in their head of what it should look like. Okay, well, what is the constituent parts of all of these things to then make it look like your team? And then from that, what's the rules and instructions you'll give to your players so that they understand what your idea is? And then the last thing is, once you've got all those bits, okay, what are the key sessions that would help you get to that thing? And then from that perspective, it's like, okay, let's find what each part of your game model looks like in the idealist of sense. And then what are the, the variations of it based on what the opponent might or might not do? So that's always the starting point is, what should the team look like and then go from there. So if if somebody says to me, I want them to look like Red Bull under Roger Schmidt in 2016, okay, I'm going to go and, well, I know what it looks like, so it's it's not a big deal. But if somebody says to me, I want them to look like Sassuolo under De Zerbi in 2019 or 2018 or whenever it was, okay, narrow build-up, wide attackers, lots of rotations from the, the full-back and the midfielders and that sort of stuff and standing on the ball and just passing to provoke and we break the line, so... It's okay. Let's find all the things that would make that work for 
when we have the ball and we lose it or when we win it back and how do we break, that sort of thing. So um, it's, it's then the last process is how do we design key sessions for that? And what is like, what are the maybe 16 key activities you would use? And you focus your things around those. So as much as we're not focusing on repeating the same activities, it's variations of the same activities with the same principles and, and information going into it. Whenever you, we just spoke briefly before we start recording uh, about your recent roles, the director of football and in the recruitment side, when you, when you go from your, your experience, your experience in Canada, and then you go to a different lens of recruitment, general manager, um, upstairs, leadership roles, analysis, scouting, recruitment, then you go back to the grass. How have you changed from the coach that, you were in Canada to the coach you now are in Finland? I'm a lot clearer on what my idea is. Very, very clear on, on how it should be done. Much clearer on the periodization of it and how we structure each training session. Probably the biggest thing is like managing uh, how you conduct the week and how many sessions you do and how many activities there are and the duration and that sort of stuff. But like even, even like the meetings, so I think when I was younger, if I'd done a meeting, I would want to show everybody everything and teach them everything. And then it's just information overload. And I'm probably guilty of doing that tonight as well. But I always feel like if people are going to give up their time to come and listen to me speak, I should give everything. That's that's just the way I am. But even now it's like, okay, if I can do a meeting in 12 minutes or 15 minutes, that's perfect for the players. But today it was seven, yesterday it was six. Monday was 25 because we conceded three goals and we needed to fix it. But I think the biggest difference between Stevie working in Canada and Stevie working in Finland is like the clarity of the idea, the clarity of the implementation of the idea and how you communicate your ideas and find out what's really, really important and fixed and what's not that important, but you're going to have to touch on and what are the things which the players find really, really important that they need from you and giving the players the best information and service. And I think like, them understanding that you're there to try and help them progress in their career is the single biggest thing. Whether you're a college coach, a youth coach, a first team coach, a, a development team coach, whatever job you are, the players have to understand first that one, you can help them and you know what you're doing, but two, you're there to try and push them up to whatever the level is that they want to achieve. And if you have that level of um, a bond with them, then I think you can go really far. But you never get that bond without being commanding on the pitch and commanding in the meeting room and everybody having a level of respect that you know what you're doing and you're there to help. I actually think the first one of that is really underrated. People like, because everyone, like a lot of messaging online is like, yeah, if you, if you care, if you know how much you care, and that is, that is the second part, like that's hugely important. But the competence piece is important. That yeah. you get that right in meetings and that you you are on your game and that you do get that information so on that there you're saying then to get you've got a, that self-analysis that's reviewing your own trade and that's making sure that you're up to date yeah i think like so sometimes i think sometimes i've probably been guilty of it myself more when i was younger but not now like i haven't coached for three and a half years this is the first time i've been on the pitch since um august 2019 when I went home to work for Dundee United, I took a few sessions with the 16s, but the, the first team, and you know yourself, Gary, because you do it now, first team analysis jobs, when you're the head of departments, six hours a week minimum, and you don't have time to coach or think about planning sessions. So 
for me, if I rewind the clock and say, okay, I'm a better coach now than what I was in Canada, a million percent, but why? And that's the bigger question. What does the meetings look like? What do players expect from you? How do sessions get constructed? What's the periodization of each day? Um, if you are playing a game on a Saturday and you expect your players to run 10k each on average, well, then don't ask them to do 10k on a Friday. Don't ask them to do 10k on a Thursday. Try and get them closer to 7k on a Wednesday, for example, or in our case, on a Tuesday. Don't overload them. Like, make sure every training session is as high intensity as you can make it. But and what what we did, to be fair, what I did at the start was our training areas were huge at the start to get the playing principles in. And now we're slowly reducing the playing area and increasing the numbers because the playing principles are going to be embedded and ingrained to a level where everybody's really comfortable and confident in doing it. And the automations are getting there so we can use smaller spaces. But I would never have done that in the same manner 2018, 2019, that sort of thing, because I would never really have considered it. And when you're working at first team level, Scottish Championship, Scottish Premier League, English League One, there's a lot that you can learn from everybody else. And it might only be one thing, but it might be something really important. And I think like um, it's, it's really important that you have clarity on your own idea and how you're going to implement it first. And if you have that, then players will buy in. And if players buy in and you're good with them and they enjoy what you're doing and they understand that you're there and you're competent, then I think it can be it can be quite successful. Yeah, just on that there, for a coach then who's at the youth levels and aspires to work at the senior level and in a professional environment, which you mentioned there, is going to be met with every professional environment is met with a level of pressure, some more than others, but pressure is there. Uh, I've never seen one that the pressure's not there to win football matches on a Saturday. So how would you, in your experiences of that cutting edge in terms of the pressure, in terms of the time-sensitive delivery and all that there, how would you recommend a young coach prepare or, or even gets on the right track to, to eventually get there and, and prepare in the right way? It's a good question. Like, if if I think about my own journey, like I was I was fifteen and a half when I started coaching. I worked in the local community centre. I took a grassroots team for five years and went to America. Came back. I went to Switzerland. Went to India. All the way along the journey, I'm trying to do more than the level that I'm working at. So if I'm working in India and I'm working with grassroots players, what things can I add on? to my own journey, which would pull them further along, whether it's nutrition, periodization, tactical periodization, um, the way we structure sessions, do we add an analysis? Do we do individual player development planning, which most academies will do now anyway. But every step along the way was, what do I not know that somebody at the level I want to get to should know? I remember, I remember being 17 and writing down, and I had a notebook and I wrote down, wait, what does a coach at Man United, AC Milan, Arsenal know that I don't and I wrote down all the stuff, biomechanics technical development uh, the physical development of players integrated within the thing and even now, still probably don't know even 20% of what the top guys know but you're always curious about what do they know, how do they, how do they know this what's the implementation of these plans what's the next stage, maybe it's psychology maybe it's biomechanics maybe it's um, training the brain it could be anything. It's what's the next level look like and what do you think you don't know? 
and then go and find out. And I think um, one, of the, one of the best experiences I had working, and I, to be honest, I speak about it all the time, like, I worked with Robbie Nielsen for a year at Dundee United. It was a really, really important time for me because you see how one of the top managers in Britain works, how he like, works with the players, how he works with his staff, how he constructs the meetings. I had a really great year watching him work in terms of how he just put everything together and made sure everyone knew the roles. In the second year, we had Ryland Morgans, who's one of the best uh, physical performance coaches in the world. And you're talking to him about, well, what do I not know about training? Physical loading, distances, high intensity running, uh, return to play protocols. What are these things to me? I don't know. I've been just been working in Canada. You're not exposed to these things. So then you learn about that. And when you go to start with being interested in technical scouting, you start to look at like, what's the best way you could do like a recruitment methodology. And then you just start, it starts going from there and like you just start asking more and more questions. You become more and more curious. And then before you know it, it's the things you used to do are now shaped in a way where the best parts of it come forward and the bad bits of it are left behind. Brilliant. You don't all you don't often hear about the psychological you hear about the psychological makeup and psychological demands of playing, obviously, but you'd never hear of it as coaching. But when you're talking, you're thinking, right, well, you named all those countries that you've been and gone and, and you named all those experiences. You've got the humility, you've got the open mindedness, you've got the curiosity. But then it also takes like you're sitting in a hotel room in Finland and your family is I'm guessing back in Scotland. So Going and moving and and not in the the forest screen. Like how do you how have you personally kind of maneuvered through all that stages of your life where you're moving family or you're moving away from family and you're you're navigating through that? I, I think like and it's probably like a bit of a sappy thing to say. Like if you don't have a wife who's really supportive and trusts you and thinks that you can do whatever it is that you want to do, or a husband. If, the, if you don't have that backing from your wife and like, thankfully, like Sarah, since we met, we've been together 17 years. I'm, I, like, I, I moved to Finland the day before our wedding anniversary, which is obviously not great. Um, I missed my wee boy's birthday like two weeks ago. When was uh, his birthday? Yeah, like last, it was last, last week. So uh, without a supportive wife and supportive family around you, it's, it's impossible because I can't go... I can't go to Finland, and, and to be fair, I'm actually going home on Sunday for a few days. But um, without a supportive wife, supportive family, it's it's impossible. I think when we were younger and we said, "Okay, we'll go abroad," and we went to Switzerland. That was, you know, she got a job, I got a job. We did well. Uh, do you want to go travel? And okay, we, we went to India. She came for six months. She came for the last year. I don't think without the support of of your wife, it's impossible completely impossible because otherwise like I think if I didn't have that I don't know what I would be doing I might be coaching like amateur level football in Scotland I might be just doing door-to-door sales I might be selling electricity on the phone or something like that so I think like if you don't have that support around you particularly from your wife girlfriend etc impossible so yeah most of uh, most of my success in life is, is largely attributed to her yeah, no, I think that's important because again, you know, the coaches that are are that they get on these webinars aspire to improve and dream and do the same as what probably got them in the game is the first time you move from dreaming about playing at a high level as a player to doing it as a coach and improving yourself, and that comes with sacrifice, doesn't it? Like that comes with choices and difficult ones sometimes. Yeah, and like 
there's no, there's like, I'm a dad of two wee boys. There's, if somebody says, you know, do you want to go and spend a month away and go and coach full time in Finland? No, you don't want to do that. You, you'd rather that they were all with you. But the reality is that if you work in a cutthroat, ruthless industry like football, where things are, and to be fair, I say this to the players all the time, like, everything in football is temporary. I might think you're a, a bad player and you're never going to play for me, but then maybe I get moved on and the next guy thinks you're great. That's that's life. So, um, whatever, whatever level you want to get to, there's going to be sacrifice involved. If you're not willing to do some sacrifice of spare time, senior mates, spend ridiculous amount of times on Y Scout or Twitter, like researching things until three o'clock in the morning and applying for jobs and emailing people. Um, I think it becomes really, really difficult if you, unless you've got an unbelievable network that can drag you along. Because I, I was, I was the guy at twenty-one year old sending emails to every confederation in the world, hoping I'd get a reply. Somebody offered me a coaching job. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, you've got to be willing to put yourself out there and showcase your work and network with people and try and. I'm probably quite an altruistic guy. I like to try and help people. So. I think that probably does go a long way, but unless you're willing to showcase your work and, and talk to people and, and put yourself out there, I think it becomes becomes difficult because the people that go the furthest are generally the ones that showcase their work and impress people. So if you've got that ability, get your work online and and, and put yourself out there and be ready to be shot at sometimes. But in the main, people are positive, and so just be brave and stick your work out. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, and on that note, uh, helping people... Uh, you're obviously working in Finland and, and doing your thing there, but you're still doing your, your online stuff. So I know we've got a lot of coaches there that it's the summer. You might have a month or two that you want to revamp your game model or get some feedback on it or even just start it and do it at a higher standard than you think you can do it. Um, contact you? Yeah, most of, the, most of the time you can get me on Twitter. Mostly in DMs. Um, some people message me on Instagram. I don't know how often I check that, but um, Gary can send you my email address if you want it to, to fire over some questions. But yeah, like I've been designing game models for clubs at like literally every level. So maybe the assistant coach of a, the biggest team in Turkey might have emailed me and asked me about a game model last year. It's, you get that sort of thing where that people come in because they, they think you can help. And a lot of the time it's just framing what you know and and how we can turn it into an idea, into a document that you can show to players, show in job interviews. I know people now when they go to do like the, the UEFA A license or USSFA licenses, do you have a game model? Okay, and a, a lot of people that start the course will then first first contact us. Can I help them? So, yeah, it's, there's a lot of things that we can do with that. Um, we'll do a little bit just now with um, Forest Green fans will probably laugh at this because it's not gone so well, but. Um, teaching about data scouting and how to translate the data to find players that might fit however it is that you want to play and create comparisons and assess if a player's going to have like, sustainable performances, etc. So there's a lot of stuff I do now because it's a wide skill set over multiple different jobs. You, know that, you worked with a, a, a couple of colleges as well last year, right, doing their stuff? Yeah, I did. Uh, I worked with Baylor Women's Soccer as a an analyst, and it was good working with Michelle and Cole. Michelle's very good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's like to be fair. Like I saw how Dallas Baptist plays, and I was blown away. And you could see the building blocks we put in place at Baylor. I've done a little bit with Chris at Harvard. 
Denise at USF. Um, too many to mention, to be honest. Like a lot of my my work is with university uh, and colleges, like one in Charleston. Uh, so many, so many to name now. But yeah, a lot of a lot of US based work because it's. I think I don't want to say American and Canadian based coaches are more open minded, but I think that there's always. Like what's the next step for them and how can somebody help? So it's it's great that they come to me for help and I always uh, humbled by it, to be honest. Now, I put your, your email up there, so I hope you didn't mind me sharing it. Um, if any coaches want to contact you. Cool. Um, because I, I'd probably lose the email, so I'll quickly get you to it. Stevie, tremendous to catch up. I really appreciate you jumping on and... Um, We'll we'll stay posted. Maybe we'll get you on again in the near future when things settle down and um and do another one of these. This is fantastic. I really appreciate you putting that together and sharing it and being accessible. Um, much appreciated. You've always been you've always been really good with modern soccer coach. So I really appreciate all your support. Thank you very much. It's uh, I know a lot of people speak really highly of it. So so well done and spending so many years putting it together and and helping so many coaches over so many countries for so many years. So well done. Cheers, mate. Top class. Hey, great to catch up. It's getting dark. Good luck tomorrow. I'll be looking at the Twitter for the scoreline. Good interview. Don't be bashing the pitch. <laughs> no, I will be. I will be. You should see it. Arenda. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.